Hello and welcome to Pondering from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. This is the podcast for entrepreneurs, marketing specialists. Just, I mean, welcome, welcome, because you're going to love this guest. I love this guest. <laughs> this guest is super fun. Uh, Kristen Luck and I, we ended up speaking on the same stage uh, last year in New York and completely hit it off. We just knew we were connected and you are going to love all of the branding, marketing strategy, entrepreneurship, actual growth strategy we're going to talk about today. So welcome Kristen Luck of Luck Collective. Thanks for having me, Priscilla. Yes, it was love at first sight when we met in New York. <laughs> it was a cool facility, too. I have to say, the background, the backdrop we had when we were speaking, I thought it was the coolest. It was. It was. Usually, you know, you're in some stuffy big conference hall, so it was cool to be kind of in a you know, in an open loft space, you know, it's a little more intimate. Yeah. And it was just like downtown Manhattan. I'm like, yeah, I could get used to this. This is nice. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now you, before we get into everything else, uh, because I have so many questions and even though you and I have talked over so many different projects and so many different conversations about our perspectives on growth and strategy and marketing, the funny thing is, we are both moving at such a fast pace. We don't always get the chance to hear the bigger stories in both of our lives. So I'm actually just going to talk from a curiosity standpoint and we're going to have fun. But before we get into the specifics about what you do and what you bring to the table with Luck Collective, I really want to hear a little bit more about your traveling life and just really, you know, I know you're constantly on the road. I get the funniest messages when I send you an email and it'll always be some little tip or tidbit or something about where you are in the world, but you are constantly on the road. Talk to us a little bit about that first, and then we'll get going. Yeah, I travel a lot. I would say over half the year right now, I'm I'm on the road. And I think a lot of that is because my my clients are really scattered globally. So Mm -hmm. I have, you know, clients in Asia Pacific, throughout Europe, um, and then, you know, spread across the U.S. And um, and then when I'm not traveling, I live in a little ski resort town in the mountains of Oregon, Bend, Oregon, which is a glorious place to live, but not a whole lot of business here. So um, <laughs> I tend to hit the road quite a bit. Yeah. And um, yes, I try to change up my out of office message so that people actually read it. And I try to add some interesting factoid or nugget about where I'm traveling to and what I'm up to um, just to kind of keep folks engaged. In fact, I have a few people that literally just send me emails periodically to see if my out-of-office is on, <laughs> just so they can read the interesting factoid, which I think is kind of funny. So, yeah I, mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the beautiful thing about business these days is it doesn't matter where you are. You know, I think if you have a global perspective on business um, and you're well-connected, which I'm, I'm really fortunate to be well-connected through all my, you know, business ventures um, to date, you know, then you can really work anywhere. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that because I want to hear about the big story from Decipher and all on. And I know a lot of people who know you or see you on a stage, they they are interested in what's the bigger backstory here and how did you get where you are. But I will say, you know, the one thing that is very different about you and a lot of other consultants I talk with and, um, and meet as I'm speaking is that you have such a unique perspective about the real tangible actions that it takes to execute a growth strategy. So you're not full of fluffy marketing advice or trending, you know, keywords and things like that. And I think that's why you and I get on the phone and we're just like, bop, 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 you know, we're just right down and dirty to it. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
So yeah, sure. tell us, a, tell us about your story, because I think from the story, we're going to be able to see your own experience as a serial entrepreneur and how it really gave you something just beyond, oh, I'm a consultant that will give you some good advice. <laughs> so yeah, because there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately. So start there, like about, you know, how you got those major global connections and what, what those opportunities look like. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think the thing that really sets me apart, you know, from a lot of folks in the consulting space is that I've actually done the work and gone through the steps I'm actually advising on. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I have, you know, served in businesses in almost every capacity from analyst to client manager, operations, technical product development, strategy, sales and marketing, you know, (laughs) Um, I've uh, founded two different companies. I've, you know, um, I've, I've helped grow and, and sell three. So, you know, I I think I have a really unique perspective that a lot of other folks don't don't bring to the party. And I've you know been fortunate enough to you know to build in and run some pretty sizable global businesses. So although you know Decipher was my most um, was my most recent company, um, my actually my first firm was a little firm called OTX that was not so little um, out of Los Angeles. My business partner and I launched that right during the dot com boom. You know, in like the late nineties, early two thousands, and you know, scaled that company from, you know, zero to $30 million in less than three years, you know, wow. the fastest growing research firm in the world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, you know, it was a really crazy wild ride and, you know, it was the perfect, you know, sort of the perfect storm, you know, it was a great team, you know, a really fast, innovative space. You know, we were kind of the first to market with a lot of what we were doing. Um, you know, people were dumping tons of money into dot com. So, you know, it was a it was a pretty wild ride for my first startup, but also, you know, I, I I learned a ton. You know, we ended up selling the firm to a private equity company, and then again to um, to Ipsos, which uh, is still the owner of that business. So Ipsos OTX, for those of you who are familiar with the research space, um, and then after that, I started a, a more of like a data visualization, um, data collection. Uh, consultancy, um, where we were working to build data data visualization platforms and consult with um, firms that were, you know, sort of looking to scale operations. And I actually sold that firm to Decipher back in 2007. So that's how I came on board. I think a lot of people have the misconception that I was one of the founders of Decipher because I was really the face of the company, you know, after mm-hmm. I came on board. But, you know, I was really brought on for two reasons, you know, A, to take us into the software licensing space, which we, which we did. And then secondly, to get the company sold, to scale it and, and sell the company, which we did at the end of 2014. We sold it to Thompson Street Advisors and, and Focus Vision. Well, you talk about this bringing people to these uh, uh, acquisition events. And I know when you and I were uh, struggling to get on the same uh, page, get on the phone at the same time a while back, you were gone in Switzerland and you were actually doing another certification of very in-depth training specifically about kind of a new, maybe not new so much, but more, more focused, um, uh, venture where you, where your consulting is going. So talk to us a little bit about that. What, how is that connected to marketing and growth strategy? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that, you know, is sort of near and dear to my heart and kind of a passion project, which I know you're familiar with is, is women in research, which is my nonprofit that I launched, um, you know, back in 2007. So 10, you know, 2017 is our 10 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, sort of came to light for me, not just as a female entrepreneur, but also in my, you know, growth strategy practice I have now is that, you know, A, there are not a whole lot of women in the, you know, funding investment banking space. Um, 
There's not a whole lot of women skilled at working with um, VCs and private equity firms. Uh, and, you know, if I can provide a clear path, not just for female entrepreneurs, but for entrepreneurs in general about working in private equity, working with venture capital firms and how to raise funding, um, and then to, you know, take your, your company through acquisition, from my perspective, that's one of the most valuable perspectives that I can provide for entrepreneurs, because I feel like it's really a gray area for people a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people, they didn't come through finance, you know, they're entrepreneurs from a very different perspective. And so that's why we get hired, because they didn't become entrepreneurs because they were marketing experts, they became entrepreneurs, they're they're experts in whatever it is, metal service, I mean, it could be anything, could be turbo engines, you know, but they're not experts in marketing. Well, then also, likewise, they could not possibly be experts in funding or acquisition or merger. You know, how do you actually, you know, grow to a place where your company valuation makes sense with the work yeah. that you've put in? So it, I don't think it is weird that, of course, these people who m- are maybe geniuses in other uh, respects simply do not understand not only the big picture, but then also the nuances of what are the actual actionable steps toward, you know, coming to uh, an acquisition event. I, to me, that seems like almost like a, it would be crazy that that same owner knows how to do both things. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, like you said, it's a pretty nuanced space. And, you know, it's a really specific skill set. You know, I've been, you know, really fortunate to have gone as far as I have in my career, only having a bachelor's degree. So, you know, when I started getting into more of the funding side and the acquisition side of the business, I was like, wow, I really need to, you know, kind of bone up on what this space looks like. And, Mm-hmm. You know, what, you know, how do I get my the proper certification I need in order to conduct some of those deals in, in the U.S.? Because it's a little little different doing those deals in the U.S. than it is doing them overseas. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm kind of a big proponent of lifelong learning. You know, however, mm-hmm. you know, however you learn, great. You know, I do a ton of reading and self-taught on, on pretty much everything. Nice. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, I think it's, it's good to, you know, take a step back and say, wow, you know, there's more that I need to learn here. There's more I need to know. And, um, Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, and that's really how I spent my summer. Well, th- you're right that there are also aren't a lot of women in that space. I am excited. We're going to talk a little bit later in the show about how um, you and I will both be at the Orlando TMRE, the big market research um, event. Um, and I'm, you know, at, at the risk of sounding like a total dork, I'm so in awe. You're going to be sharing the stage with Malcolm Gladwell. It just blows my freaking <laughs> mind. So I, you know, when I when I registered for the event and I'm getting the booklet, you know, here's Malcolm Gladwell's pay, picture, you know, on page one, and then three people over on page two. There's Kristen Luck. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't make it to the first page. But oh my gosh, that was pretty awesome. Oh my gosh, you, you cannot even say I didn't make it to the first page. That you were on the second page. Right, right. <laughs> Come yeah. on, that was yeah. super awesome. But hey, before we move on to some of these, I have some questions that I wrote down specifically so that my audience can really get some tangible understanding, um, you know, from your expertise. But you said, I asked, would you be willing to share a funny, some kind of a funny story from your travels? And you were like, yeah, I got one. We're good. So ask me away. So I'm, I'm excited to hear um, your either fun or funny story about all your traveling. Yeah, well, I have one that's really specific to speaking because I, you know, one of the reasons I travel a lot is because I do quite a fair amount of speaking, speaking mm-hmm. gigs. Um, and I think that, you know, once you start speaking a lot and you get really comfortable with it on stage, people have the perception that you never get nervous. Mm-hmm. Anymore. And I've had a couple conversations with folks just at the last couple of conferences that I've gone to where they're like, oh, this is my first speaking gig and I'm absolutely petrified. And I was like, yeah, I'm petrified too, actually. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'm kind of naturally introverted and I've worked really hard to become more extroverted uh, 
and, and to do, you know, more public speaking. And I think, you know, every time I go into an event, I'm sort of filled with dread, like, why did I sign up for this? And why did I say I was going to do this? And, <laughs> you know, really, I like to go put my sweatpants on and call in my hotel room bed and, you know, turn on uh, forensic files. But well, that's how I feel right before they pull the thing when I get my eyebrows waxed. I'm like, why do right. I do this? Why do I do this? This is the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when I first started out, you know, and I was, you know, first starting to speak at, at conferences and industry events, I was really nervous. I had this big speaking gig. It was at, at one of the first TMREs actually. And, you know, I had practice, practice, practice. I was ready to go. And then Right in the front row, um, this guy, Larry Gold, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, who was kind of this research industry luminary, literally plants himself right in the front row of my talk. And of course, I'm, you know, now I'm like twice as petrified because Larry Gold is there. It's a lot of pressure. And, you know, he was sitting with a few other heavy hitters. And, you know, fortunately, I completely nailed the presentation. Like, I felt really good about it. It was standing room only. And I was, you know, feel, starting to feel really, you know, my ego was swelling and I was feeling really good about myself. And oh, no. I walked up to Larry and I said, Larry, you know, what did you think about the talk? And he said, I have to tell you, it's the best presentation that I've ever seen from someone who had gum in their mouth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I had, I had been chewing gum, before, you know, because you get dry mouth sometimes before mm -hmm. you speak. And so I had been chewing gum. And here, like, I had felt like I had had this amazing presentation, you know, and really nailed it. And then all Larry could talk about was that I was chewing gum, you know. Well, and, and you're so, at hey. TMRE and in the audience is, like, people from Google and Microsoft right. and Disney and General Mills. And you're like, oh, crap. Yeah. So pro tip. <laughs> Don't chew gum when you speak on stage. <laughs> See, you got an actionable item out of it already. I, I did get an, it was a learning moment. Yep. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, it's also, you know, also good to remember when you're ever feeling really full of yourself, there's always someone who can knock you back into reality really quickly. <laughs> well, hey, at the New York, I have a funny story on that. When you and I spoke, we spoke back to back at New York and I was sitting right next to um, Simon Dunn from Keena's Mustard out of the UK. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were, we hadn't, didn't know each other. We had just connected and it was like, oh, he's a great guy. And you, you, you know, you were on, I was on and we were trying to be quiet. And you know, at the, at those uh, conferences, they don't give any space in between the, the speakers. It's just right to the next one. So we had just had a little shush, shush, shush conversation. And then he goes, oh, I'll give you my card. And he reaches in his, in his um, uh, pocket. And then, you know, the next person's up. So we're like, you know, trying to shush ourselves and, you know, look at the person and he reaches in his pocket, tries to be as quiet as possible. And and he, without looking at me, he just hands me his card. And I look down and I'm like, go to grab it. And it's, he's handed me his hotel room card. <laughs> and I look over him and I, and then when he looks down, I look and I kind of nudge him. And when he looks down, he is just mortified. He's like, hey, lady. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. See and me later. <laughs> totally. And then the thing is, is that it's it's like, you know, in church when you can't laugh in church. And then we when he, re I mean, he's mortified. He's turning completely red. And, you know, we're looking at the person and we are trying so hard not to laugh. And it's just like, okay, that was our moment. <laughs> yeah. When you try not to laugh, it makes it 10 times worse. No, totally. Well, hey, we started with talking about how there are so many consultants out there in the space. And we kind of laughed, haha, -ha, some of them, what are they doing? We don't know. So let's talk about how so many consultants out there either makes your job currently harder or easier. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think it makes my job a lot easier, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and I think part of that is because 
I have really clear um, metrics for, you know, what a successful client engagement looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I don't want to take on any engagements where I can't drive meaningful change. And if mm-hmm. I don't think that I can make a meaningful difference in a business, I, I don't want to participate um, in an engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for me, I set really clear metrics of success before I, I take on a client. So, and, and part of that is talking to the CEO, like, hey, what does success look like for you? You know, for some people, it is, you know, hey, I want to grow my business more than 10% a year. For some of them, it's, I want to be in business next year. I mean, I have clients that kind of range across the spectrum from, you know, firms that are really healthy and growing quickly and are really trying to position themselves to acquisition to, you know, firms who are either stagnant in terms of revenue growth or they're actually in decline. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, I mean, I think the fun thing about consulting is that every engagement has a new, you know, has a new challenge, a new set of objectives. And, you know, so it's fun to kind of, you know, work, you know, work across, you know, different business problems. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, uh, having a really clear definition of, hey, this is, you know, this is the type of um, consulting that I provide you know, here's where you're going to be at the end of that three, six, 12 month engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what are those, those check-in points along the way? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I was just at an event, um, you know, this last weekend in Utah and there was a guy that I met who was talking about, yeah, he does consulting. He, you know, he was getting paid some obscene amount of money a month, which was awesome. You know, when he told me how much he was making, but you know, he literally does three phone calls a month. And he said to me, you know, I don't do any actual work. Oh my God. Um, and I thought, wow, because I feel like I do a lot of work. Right. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, and, you know, part of that is challenging because, you know, I spend most of my days doing phone calls, talking with CEOs, founders, people who are running the business. And then I spend most of my evenings and weekends really digging into the strategic analysis of like, hey, what is it going to take to really grow this company? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's deep work. You know, right. there's, there's, there's surface work, you know, which is the conversations and, you know, gathering the data really. And then the deep work is that really intense, you know, like, gosh, it's going to take me, you know, days and hours and hours and hours to really dig in, you know, and determine, hey, first of all, you know, is the company capable capable of being positioned for growth? B, you know, do I have a strategy that I feel they can work, that can work for them? And, and C, and most importantly, can the company implement it? Right. Because I can come up with the best strategy in the world, but if they're not on board to implement it or don't have the resources, it's not going to do them much good. Well, I appreciate also about your work, and I, you know, I get to see it because you send clients to me, and here's the whole strategy, Priscilla. Now go execute it. So I get to see the detailed work and the the real, you know, solid experience that's behind it. And one other thing I really appreciate about reading your work is you really help put the company in context against their competitors and in their market and really help say, wait a minute, before you go spend money on any plan, is this even good to go forward? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, you know, I see that a a lot, particularly, you know, in, in mid-stage companies, which is that they don't, they don't have a really clear idea of what differentiates them from their competitive set. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, when I ask people like, Hey, what makes you different? You know, a lot of what I get back is, Oh, you know, we do really high quality work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone can say that, you know, right. or, um, hey, we're really agile and fast. Great. Again, not a key differentiator. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what I really try to hone in on is, and I'm sure you've seen this in some of the competitive analysis you've received from me is, mm-hmm. you know, what are core opportunities for messaging or positioning that really set you apart in the marketplace? And I, I don't feel like a lot of entrepreneurs 
give a whole lot of thought to that when they start a business. Um, You know, a lot of times people have an idea, you know, they might start out with a couple clients, you know, that they've brought over from previous businesses and they think they have enough to kind of launch a company and go. And you might, you know, for a couple of years, but invariably what happens is the market changes or new competitors come into play or you lose a client or two. And then all of a sudden you're in a space where the business is declining or you're finding it more and more challenging to bring on new clients. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of going back and thinking like, well, what's the, you know, what's the essence of the company? You know, like what's, what's our ethos and what are we, you know, what are we really, you know, doing differently that's, you know, special and sets us apart from everyone else. I think that's a really important exercise for companies to go through when they get into one of those positions where, gosh, we're just not growing anymore. Right. Well, talking about not growing anymore, in all of your experience, do you feel that there are a couple of um, things that bubble up to the top here about why companies seem to fail to grow past that plateau because you and I are the same I think when we talked is like when people come to us usually the first words out of their mouth is we're stuck right that, that's yeah. a real, <laughs> you can yeah. you can fancy that's it up too. <laughs> and uh, you know so you know, we're used to hearing that but that's what it distills down to but do you see what are the top reasons you think that people are failing to you know grow past that plateau? Why are they experiencing that plateau? Or even like you said, some of them might be experiencing a decline. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you should bring that up because I'm actually working on a whole new, um, a whole new talk that I'm giving in early 2018 called the five step business cleanse, how to get the shit out of your business and get things moving again, (laughs) (laughs) which is, which is kind of just right in line with, with, Mm -hmm. with your question. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, the most common thing I, I see is an operations versus a growth mentality. And by that, by that, I mean, you know, being really, really focused on how you get the work done mm-hmm. versus being focused on sales and marketing and how you're bringing new work in. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people default to the operations kind of mentality because it's safe and it's easy and there's not a whole lot of rejection involved in it. Most of the people that I see running companies, they're really good functional sort of operations motivator or um, they're good, they're good doers, you know, right. versus taking a step back and doing some of the more uncomfortable work, you know, which opens you up to rejection, which is <laughs> going out and really putting yourself forward and talking about the business and trying to bring in new client work. And, you know, that that's a really big shift for a company, not just in terms of how you run the business day to day, but culturally, you know, right. um, and that can be, you know, it, it can also relate to how you value different positions in the company and the types of behaviors you're trying to encourage. So... You know, that, that would probably be the, the one thing, which is, you know, being too focused on getting the work done instead of bringing the work in. And, you know, certainly there has to be a focus on getting work done, but that can't be the sole focus of the business. Right. Now, that's interesting because, you know, we both obviously consult and we also pay consultants and have many times over the course of our, our, our existence because we believe in that. Sometimes yeah. you can't get what you need that's inside your mind, outside of your mind about your own company because you're sitting there with so so carefully rocking your baby <laughs> that, right. that you well, just can't give it to someone else. And, and it's really important to give it to other people. Do you, do you experience a lot of reticence even from people who hire you to be like, give me the baby. I will take care of it for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, no, I don't get a whole lot of that. What I do get a fair amount of is when I make suggestions, people are like, well, our business is really special and you just don't understand our business. Hmm. 
you know, and the truth of the matter is your business is not that special. And I do understand it. <laughs> You're just, I'm asking you to do something really uncomfortable that you don't want to do. And I get it, you know, and sometimes, you know, that's a conversation that happens over a period of time. It's like, Hey, I get that your business is special and different. Why don't you just try it and see if it works? You know, like, your business is in decline and you're struggling to grow. What are you risking really at the end of the day? You mm -hmm. know, I'm asking you to take a different approach. And so, you know, I mean, I think it, it's always a challenge, you know, like I said, I think that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the CEOs I work with, they get so used to working in the business every day that it's hard to take a step back and work on the business. Mm -hmm. Working on and working in are very, two very, very different things. Um, you know, working on the business is looking at your strategy, product development, where is the company going, going out and talking to clients, you know, going out and doing speaking gigs and, you know, um, you know, being a thought leader, you know, those are all activities that are working on the business. And then working in is like, hey, I'm going to do all my QuickBooks billing today. Mm -hmm. You know, like most CEOs don't need to do that. Now, if you enjoy it and you want to spend, you know, an hour out of your week doing it and that gives you a great pleasure, I'd say go for it. Mm -hmm. But that's not where you should be spending the bulk of your time. Well, let's talk about that. Well, you just mentioned it. It's a really dovetails nicely into my next question about how speaking gigs actually fit into a good growth strategy. Now, I've seen you speak on growth hacking tips, growth strategies. I've heard you speak on guerrilla marketing strategies, about storytelling. Um, and I've really heard you speak a lot about actual marketing measurements. Like, what are the KPIs? What, you know, it, let's look at benchmarks. Let's let's really do everything we can to measure what's going on and make sure that we have the proper check-ins. What I haven't heard you speak on, but I know that you speak on, are things that are more like an entrepreneurial spirit and what, what does it take to be in startups? And then now, obviously, with um, the other focus that you're doing, you're speaking a lot about really the nuts and bolts of, of you know, Series A, venture capitalist, venture capitalism. And, you know, how do you go out and, and actually, you know, do get to an acquisition experience? So tell me what things in, first of all, what things in the speaking environment have I missed? What do you get asked to speak on? That's number one. And then secondly, tell us a little bit about how your speaking gigs is you working on your business and not in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a, cu a couple, a couple different things there. I mean, uh, you know, I love speaking about growth strategy and, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it's so rare that I actually get to speak out on it. I get asked to speak a lot on trends or, you know, things that are, you know, mm -hmm. things that are, you know, I'm, you know, kind of build myself also as like a trends and futurist expert in the tech space. So I get asked to speak a lot on that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I love speaking on entrepreneurism because I think that, you know, it's something that for me, you know, having that autonomy and running my own business has been one of the most rewarding and empowering experiences of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and so I just enjoy it so much that, you know, I want to impart that enthusiasm to other people. And I think, I think a lot of people don't think of themselves as entrepreneurs. Um, and, and there's some, you know, there's some real defining characteristics, I think, of what makes a great entrepreneur versus, you know, maybe one that's not going to be so successful. So mm -hmm. like, like what? That, like what? Uh, you know, grit. And it's funny because people <laughs> don't talk about it a lot. You know, for me, you know, I, I think that people, you know, you would look at my LinkedIn profile and say, gosh, she's, you know, she's had so many successes. She just knocked it out of the park every time. And yeah, at the end of the day, and yeah, I did knock it out of the park at the end of the day. But holy hell, there was a lot of not knocking out of the park on the way there <laughs> that nobody sees, you know? Right, right. Um, and it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to make it through those tough spots. You know, I... 
was, you know, working all weekend with an entrepreneur who was in the middle of a new product launch that just went totally south. Um, and, you know, she got, you know, she was really down for, you know, a solid 48 hours. And then I was like, listen, like, this is where the rubber meets the road. And this is where grit's going to get you through. And she did, you know, mm -hmm. she mustered it up and, you know, powered through it. And, you know, we're on the right track as of, you know, this morning. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's those types of things, you know, for me, whenever I hit a rough spot, you know, I would, yeah, of course I would have that moment where I would, you know, go and softly cry in the bathroom or, um, you know, go buy a big Sunday from Dairy Queen and sit in my car. That may have happened a few times. Um, I can neither confirm nor right. deny. <laughs> That's never happened to you, right? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when I had a setback, I just dug in more, you know, I was right. like, Oh boy, now they're really going to get it. Like I'm just going to prove everyone wrong and this is going to work. And you know, I mean, you don't want to take it to the, you know, to the edge of stupidity where you right. keep going down a path that's not viable. But you know, I think the one thing that has, that has, you know, set, set my business ventures apart is because I have a completely clear vision of where the business is going and I'm completely a hundred percent committed to it. And I, there's absolutely no possibility in my mind that it will fail. Oh, None. Yeah. I love it. That Yeah. Overarchingly, you will have setbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And I for love sure. it. Yeah. Everyone has setbacks, you know, and if you think I haven't had any business setbacks, holy, you know, gosh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make a whole list for folks that listen to this. You know, I've had a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, not only in my, my startups, but also in my nonprofit, you know, uh, mm -hmm. there's no, there's never like a hundred percent smooth path, although that might, it might look like it. Well, reality TV is, TV is really poison people's minds. Like you go on for five days and you win a million dollars. It's all easy. Right. And you, you know, they, they put you through school and blah, blah, you know, it's just like, it's so, <laughs> I love that they call it reality TV because it is so not reality. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I also think that there's, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, kind of a toxic startup environment where, you know, there's been all this focus in the press on these unicorn companies and like right. your company is not going to make it to, you know, 200 million or a billion dollars, like you're a failure. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's funny, I was talking to a guy in an event a year ago and he was like, yeah, you know, my company sold for $60 million, but you know, it wasn't a unicorn. And he was actually like down in the mouth about it, you know? And I was right. like, are you kidding me? You know, like you've lost all perspective, <laughs> dude. Like that's an awesome sale. Yeah. Well, that's so, important about what you said at the, you know, beginning about when you start with a company, so well, what does success look like to you? Let me help you grow to that. Yeah. Because everybody's picture of success is quite different. So It is. Yeah. I mean, case in point, you know, my very first um, job out of college was at Lieberman Research Worldwide. And the CEO at the, at the time, um, Arnie Fishman, who was the founder of the company, would sit down all the new hires, including little peons like myself, and ask them, you know, what their vision of success was, which, which I thought was actually pretty interesting because it was already a pretty big company at that time. And I remember, he, you know, he sat me down and he said, Kristen, you know, how much money would you have to make in order to feel like you'd really made it in life? You know, like you were a big success. Mm -hmm. And I, I sat there and I, you know, at that time I was making 17000 a year. So I, I tried to imagine the <laughs> most amount of money that I could ever imagine making, Priscilla. And I said $55,000. Wow. And God bless Arnie Fishman. He didn't, he didn't even blink, not wince. He didn't say anything to me, you know. Mm -hmm. He was like, great, I think that you could do that here. <laughs> um, That's you know, awesome. But I, I think a lot of it's perspective, you right. know, and, um, and yeah, I think, I think sometimes people just get wrapped up in, in, in perception and, and, you know, are, have lost touch with reality. Right, right. Yeah, it, yeah, as opposed to really enjoying that process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, really, 
being an entrepreneur, it is a process and you have to love the hill in front of you just as much as you see, oh yeah, it's a downhill, sweet, we're coasting, you know, because those happen. But I find that if you don't learn to love the hill that's in front of you and you can curse all the way up it, it's okay. (laughs) You know, you don't have to be happy about some things you have to do, but there has to be a level somewhere on which you enjoy the challenge. Otherwise you will not do this. For sure. You'll or you'll just be a very tortured soul, which I see some out there. I'm thinking, yeah, you need to go just get a job. Yeah, you'll be very cranky a lot of your life. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and why why do that? So, yeah. well, let's finish up this talk about the speaking engagements and that by me asking you this question, and that is, I would love your perspective about the difference between being an expert keynote speaker, um, or you know, an, an expert in a particular field, and the difference if you see any between that and being a thought leader and talk about a trending, you know, phrase, thought leadership. Oh my gosh. I just got asked to go to Chicago and they're like, yeah, could you speak on thought leadership? I'm like, oh my gosh, we're just, we're always, you know, following the trend people, but it's funny, but you're right. We get asked a lot to talk about trends, but can you differentiate that a little bit when people ask you, you're an expert in this field, can you speak on it? And you keynote and that can be really great. Does that really equate to thought leadership in your mind? It does not. <laughs> you know, thought leadership is what I really use to help to grow the business at Decipher. Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, when I, you know, when I first joined Decipher as a partner, we had absolutely no bu- budget for sales and marketing. So it was just me, army of one, um, you know, trying to build a big business and, you know, no, no real marketing budget. And one of the things I realized is, hey, I really love to write. I've got, you know, I've got real strong opinions on things, as it turns out, (laughs) Uh, you know, uh, and one of the things I also realized was that I could start talking about something literally months and months, even years in some cases before anybody would be actually be doing that work or, or be available to offer a different perspective. So for instance, you know, when, when we had talked about offering, you know, mobile data collection services, you know, um, data collection using mobile phones. At Decipher, you know, we didn't actually have the capability to do it when I first started talking about it because one of the things I realized about the research industry is that they're so slow moving but that by the time I could be talking about it for a year before anybody would actually ask me for it. And, mm-hmm. you know, people might ask me questions about it or might, you know, offer that up, you know, want to learn more about it, but they weren't actually going to do the work per mm-hmm. se. So for me, it was, you know, I had almost, you know, eight, eight to nine months where I talked about mobile before we really had those capabilities. But I tell you what, once people started asking for it, we could do it. You know, we were the very first company that anybody thought about because I'd been out there talking about it for so long, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, versus doing something like an expert keynote, you know, keynote, I might be talking about, about trends or, you know, I might be talking about growth strategy. That to me is not thought leadership because I'm not really I don't know. I'm not pushing the envelope for my own business. Like I'm not create trying to create something from nothing, which mm-hmm. in many cases to me is what thought leadership is. Mm-hmm. You know, a keynote is is aspirational and inspirational in many cases. You know, a thought leadership to me is, hey, you're taking a, a definitive position on something and trying to push something new and different forward. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's nuanced, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I think of it as something something really different. I wouldn't say I do a whole lot of thought leadership stuff these days. I talk about how to do thought leadership because, like mm-hmm. you said, it's 
it's, you know, it's the new hot topic, um, <laughs> which is great, Priscilla, because, uh, you know, a year ago, everybody just wanted to talk about storytelling. And I was like, if I do one more presentation on storytelling, I'm going to lose my mind. Did you start um, with Once Upon a Time? Right? So once upon, <laughs> and people were like, I really want you to, like, do a workshop and, like, really tell people. And it's like, folks, you either have it or you don't have it. Like, right. it's not rocket science. Right. Um, you know, and there's... You know, there's principles for storytelling for sure, but I think it's kind of the same thing as thought leadership. It's like you're either creative and you have an approach to it, or you're going to struggle to kind of use that as a as a key marketing strategy, which is why you hire people like me or like you to do the work for them. Right, and you, I cannot teach you to be, become a creative writer in a seminar anyway. You cannot. You cannot. <laughs> Sorry. You know, and I've, you know, I've tried to do it. Gosh, don't get me wrong. You know, I put together worksheets and work guides and done little, you know, done little exercises. But, you know, at the, the, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, you kind of either have it in there or you don't. And, and I don't think there's a whole lot of training behind it. You know, part of it was that I went to journalism school and, mm-hmm. you know, that was probably, you know, one of the greatest things that I could have done for myself career-wise. You know, I've got a, a major in journalism from one of the best J schools in the country, which was mm-hmm. awesome. You know, it taught me how to write and how to communicate. Um, but you know, they certainly didn't have a storytelling workshop there. Right. <laughs> no, no. And yeah. you know, you're, sometimes it pops out of nowhere. I hired an amazing graphic designer and it turns out he is a phenomenal writer and he just gets me. And so sometimes you, you just have to recognize that talent when you see it. You just, sure. you can't create somebody into that. And you know, uh, it's Leighton that's on my team and sometimes I'll start something, he'll finish, you know, writing it or he'll like, he'll propose an idea to me. And so we'll kind of go back on and forth, but we have the same quirky humor. We're just both weird. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, awesome. I have a lot of people come to us and say, you know, we want your voice. We want, we want, and it's obviously not exactly mine, but they're like, they want that influence on their brand. They want their, their brand to have um, a different personality, a, a really, um, you know, recognizable uh, voice. And so they're like, can you do that? Can you little birdify our brand? Right. Well, I don't right. want to make a bunch of little birds. That's, that's not what I'm looking for. But I get what they're saying. Yeah. We are just weird and we embrace quirky in our own way. And that's not for everybody. But when I spotted that in, you know, one of my, my graphic designers, an award-winning graphic designer, I'm like, oh, no, you can write a little bit, too. Thank you very much. Right, right. <laughs> just, I, you know, I, I think, too, you know, what, you know, one of the things about marketing, I'm sure you see this a lot with your clients, is like you have to find you have to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people saw what I did with the cipher and they tried to emulate that. Mm-hmm. You know, I pick the things that I naturally gravitate toward. I like speaking. I like writing. You know, those were things that were really easy for me to do. But, you know, I have some clients that that strategy doesn't work for them. They're super introverted or they don't, they don't enjoy writing or the writing is really horrible. Right. You know, uh, so I think, and, and I see, you know, and I'm sure you do this a lot in your marketing practice as well, which is that you kind of have to customize the marketing strategy around the talent that you have. Absolutely. Um, well, because yeah. you can't, you can't create something that's false. That's no professional legitimacy because then inevitably someone's going to meet them at a conference and be like, wow, you're not anything like your blog. Right. Yeah, <laughs> if, sure. if you for have sure. that disconnect, you've just lost all brand cohesion you were going for. So yeah. you I really too, do. You, know, you, have to, you have to figure out what your own personal style is. You know, in my first startup, you know, my business partner was, was, and still is just an amazing presenter. And so person you know and when I first started doing presentations and sales meetings I used to try to emulate her and it was always a train wreck you know mm-hmm. because I wasn't her right. uh, and so for me you know I had to find my own my own style like I have my own style when I'm selling and my own style when I present 
you know, and I, you know, I always encourage people like not to emulate the way that I do things because you really have to, you have to figure out what works for you and what feels comfortable. Because mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel comfortable and organic and natural, you're not going to do it. Well, Oscar or you will Wilde, do it and it'll look really weird. Right. It'll be really awkward. <laughs> really yeah. Uh, well, as Oscar Wilde said, uh, just be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's hard. You know, you see, you know, everyone, I'm sure you do this too. I see these amazing speakers and I'm like, I'm going to do that next time. And then I try mm-hmm. it and I'm like, that feels really weird and I'm never doing that again. So, um, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a process. For right. Sure. Well, I'm excited to hear you speak at the marketing research event. So TMRE, let's end this podcast with talking a little bit about what you're going to speak on there, what we can expect. I know you and I are going to have a great time. We're going to meet with people. And I'm excited too, that your passion project, your nonprofit wire is giving away the first annual women in research award. So yeah, that's, award. that is really cool. So tell us about both of those things, what you're going to talk about. And then secondly, a little bit about the wire award. Yeah, so I am, I'm, I'm, yeah, the wire award, I'll start there. We okay. are giving away, so Women in Research has been around for 10 years now, it's our 10 year anniversary, and we're collaborating with TMRE on giving out sort of our diversity champion award. So for the individual, male or female, um, we've got lots of diversity champions in our men, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it's really an award to kind of honor the person who's, you know, really being, uh, you know, a, you know, doing the work, I guess, in the diversity space and being a champion, um, not just for women's issues, but also, you know, make sure that there's better representation, not just, you know, not just in the research industry, but across business overall that, you know, we realize that in order to um, create more diverse products and services, we have to have diversity, you know, within the industry. It can't Mm -hmm. just be a bunch of white guys talking to a bunch of white guys in a closed loop. (laughs) So... You know, and likewise, I tell people like you can't have a whole room of women just talking about diversity. That doesn't work either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have, you, you know you gotta get men involved in that conversation. So I'm super excited to be to be giving that award away. I can't tell you who won it, but, um, <laughs> but we'll be presenting that at the event. Actually, right before the keynote panel that I'm moderating. So oh, cool. Yeah. So we have um, a, a keynote panel called Community Influence: How Insights Leaders Can Take a More Impactful Seat at the C-Suite and um, I'm super excited. We've, our panelists are from Twitter and Nest and 20th Century Fox and Facebook. Um, so they're going to be talking about, hey, you know, how do they take insights and make sure that they actually make it to the C-suite and that it's, you know, data is actually informing what happens with their businesses. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be yeah. awesome. It's going to be yeah. awesome. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to have a great drink or two, too. Yeah. You know, there's a guy <laughs> called Malcolm Godwell that might be opening for me. My, yeah. You know, it's your opening act. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to bill him as. And opening right. for Kristen Luck. My opening Luck. act. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be talking about his Outliers uh, book. So that's going to be really fascinating, yeah, too. Yeah. I've read that book. Yeah. Um, I'm a Malcolm Godwell fan. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about an amazing writer. Oh, my gosh. Kind of makes you want to set your pen down. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, again, you know, sort of like every time I read a really amazing book and I find myself writing something and trying to emulate the, the writer, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. stop doing that. That's not you. <laughs> I so. love it. Well, you got to check out Kristen's work at Luck Collective. Um, it's just luckcollective.com. I just love even saying the word collective. It just sounds so inclusive. <laughs> it is inclusive. I do uh, love it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think that that, you know, part of the reason I use the word collective is because growth strategy is a collective effort. It's never mm-hmm. one person, you know, in a, you know, in a little think tank by themselves, you know, putting it all together. It's the CEO. It's the, you know, it's the key stakeholders in the business. It's the partners that I work with. Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, you know, that really power, power that growth. So. Right. Well, if you're interested in more growth hacking and growth strategies and um, really want to know what kinds of uh, trends to watch, um, what kind of measurements you need for your business as you take it forward, be sure to go to luckcollective.com, read up on Kristen, and um, feel free to reach out to her. In the meantime, we're going to go away to Orlando and have a good time. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for being on, on, on my podcast. This has been really fun. And, you know, it's rare that you and I get an hour uninterrupted actually chit chat. So right. it's kind of like a personal gift to me. But right. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it in Orlando, Priscilla. Orlando. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you for listening and for Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. This has been Priscilla McKinney with Kristen Luck of Luck Collective saying happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.